listening to the Twin Cities Apologetics Podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Lin, and you can always find out more info about this ministry at TwinCitiesApologetics.com. Today we have an excellent conversation lined up for you with Christopher Yuan, one of the best Christian speakers in the country on sexual issues, something that's so pressing in our culture. I'm excited to share this with you, so let's go right to the conversation. I'm Jeremy Lin, here with Christopher Yuan. Thanks for joining me today. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Yeah, no problem. And we'll jump right in, I think, to a topic that is very prevalent in our culture and within the church and in in individual lives. And that is basically the topic of of sex. Mm -hmm. Um, And recently we've seen, uh, just at the time of this recording, a very recent example of someone uh, who is high profile in the Mm -hmm. Christian community uh, who apparently has been... Uh, doing kind of inappropriate sexual behavior in different points of his life. And we've seen, you know, instances of that in other cases as well. So I think it's very pressing on the minds of Christians uh, right now, kind of this topic of um, sexual temptation and just sex in general. And, of course, it's been very out there in our culture as well. Yes. So uh, to start with that topic, I want to ask, to me, like, there's, there's a sense of sex having kind of this power in our lives like the way I explain it is like in terms of my relationship with God like if there's one reason where it like wants to kind of abandon that relationship or or wants to think that oh maybe God doesn't exist it would be for the sense that people talk about of having this quote-unquote sexual freedom where you can kind of do whatever you want in that sense uh with with whoever um so I I sense that power and I could see how that could you know kind of get out there in terms of people and, and their actions and the way they think. Yeah. So I'm wondering, from your experience in just addressing this issue, why do you think this area of sex has so much power in the lives of individuals, um, maybe Christians, and then also just within our culture as a whole? Yeah, you you hit the nail on the head that sex, sexuality, is uh, a very significant part of our experience. The desires that we have starting from young, whether it's even before puberty, you know, kind of even during those prepubescent years when, uh, or the beginning of puberty time, when you begin thinking about these issues of attractions and desire and, and, and uh, wants for intimacy, it's, it's, a, it's a significant part of our, our daily life. So to say it's insignificant, I think, would be irresponsible, but it, it's there. But the issue is then, how significant is it? Yeah. How integral is it to who we are? How essential is it to our personhood? And this is where the world says, well, this is who you are. Just as much as you are Caucasian or Asian or African American, this is who you are. And, and yet, God says something quite differently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So kind of um, back to that point that you said of this is how people, this is like the thing that they are is kind of their identity in that sense. How do you think it it gets to that point in people's minds? Like what is the the process by which it becomes this feeling of, oh, this is my identity now? Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, I think part of it is is culture uh, speaking into that from, uh, you know, the mid-1800s during the Romantic period when... The, the West had rejected not only the church and the hierarchy uh, and, and how that was being 
the abuse of power there, not only were they rejecting the church, but they were also rejecting God as well. So that was when atheism and, uh, and humanism was, was really began and flourished there in uh, Western Europe. And as they rejected that, well, you needed to fill that with something. And initially, they're trying to fill it with knowledge and uh, all that we can know from science. But then after a while, there was, there was this emptiness. It, it, it can't fill the void that, that, that happens when we push God out of our life and out of our culture, out of our countries, everything. So then what happened was they were trying to get, get in touch with their feelings and their desires. That's why the romantic period, if you're familiar with the uh, classical music, you know, when I grew up, I played piano, and, and I played classical piano, and I, I, I love it. I'm not, I'm not very good at it, <laughs> uh, but I, I love classical music. I appreciate classical music, and the romantic period is one of my favorite periods because it's very emotive. It's, it's beautiful in its um, expression. It, it, it. It, it makes it feel like you're becoming in, you know, in tune with, with uh, your senses, you know, because music, in art, I mean, so it's not only just music, but also art, uh, it's, it's a time when all that flourished. But also what went with that is, is, is the sense that um, we find meaning and purpose through our own thoughts and our own emotions. So we are the one that determined that, and that's a lot of pressure to put on. But I think that's kind of what we're what we're feeling and seeing today is my experience is most important. I, you know, it's almost it's it's become God, mm-hmm. and I think that is when we it, it, because that's what we hear today. If you think something, if you feel something, then that's your truth. That's that's true for you. That's that's your reality, and no one has any right to say anything different to you. Yeah. So I think that's how these emotions has become who we are, where we've conflated because there was a vacuum of, you know, putting God out, you know, Nietzsche says that, you know, God is dead. And so, well, there's a vacuum that happens in there. And so things that that we're trying to fill was either knowledge or emotions, our experience, our desires, our thoughts. And, and that's kind of where we are today. Because if there is no God, which the world thinks, then I need to find my own meaning. I need to find my own purpose. I need to find my own identity. Right. And, and that's where that comes from. That's why people are just reaching for, well, you know, my identity is found in, you know, my work. or My identity is found in uh, my, you know, strictly just my race. You know, everything about me, that's, you know, all I know is that's, I'm Chinese, and that's what I am first and foremost, which mm-hmm. I don't believe that. I, I'm a Christian first and foremost. Or you might say, you know, my identity is found in, um, you know, as a social activist or as a feminist or as a gay activist, yeah. uh, you know, because, because that is who I am. Mm-hmm. But God is telling us now you know, we, that he created us in his own image. So I think, I think that's important for us to realize because, honestly, I, I, I think that we can't fully understand human sexuality until we begin with theological anthropology. Who are we as human mm-hmm. beings? And that is we're created in the image of God and that we all have a sin nature. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's very insightful. <laughs> and I would say um, part of it, uh, you talked about um, how there is a hole that needs to be filled mm-hmm. kind of from that history. And uh, I'm sure there are, there's cultural pressure in, ter- in terms of or cultural kind of a push into this is the thing that fills that hole. Yeah. But I'd also say psychologically on an individual level, mm-hmm. from, from what I understand about that area, yeah. um, there's 
certain desires or let's say fantasies mm-hmm. um, that perhaps starts kind of early on yeah. um, as, as a child that and they end up evolving like over time into what becomes sexual fantasies mm-hmm. and maybe that is through like pain that happened in, in someone's past mm-hmm. that kind of developed that hole and then it was filled by that thing mm-hmm. uh, but I would say it seems like that kind of fantasy aspect saying like this is what's going to fulfill me and therefore, I'm going to pursue this, as, you know, no matter what the cost is. Mm-hmm. That that's kind of part of the deal. Is that kind of do you, do you kind of agree yeah, with I that? Yeah, I think that or? those there are things, uh, whether it's trauma or uh, things in our childhood or upbringing, that can have some influence. And I, you know, I see that as a catalyst. And you know, why starting with theological anthropology is so important. We're creating the image mm-hmm. of God, and we all have a sin nature. Is that Ultimately, you know, Scripture calls this sinful behavior, and the root cause of sinful behavior, ultimately, the only one root cause of that is our sin nature. And these other things that happen to us, like you say, trauma, that just compounds the reality of our sin nature. Um, and you know, but at the root, even if we, even if an individual doesn't have any of these other catalysts at the core, they're still dealing with their with their sin nature, their root problem. Yeah. Uh, so addressing that, which is why it's so necessary because when we realize and have that correct diagnosis that, that, the, that the root cause is our sin nature, mm-hmm. then that points right to Christ. Yeah. That Christ is the answer for that. Um, the mm-hmm. other, and Christ is the answer for the other things, but ultimately if the, you know, the, the real big problem is our sin nature. And if sin is a problem, Christ is the answer. Yeah, that's so amazing that the root is sin, and that might you know transfer into something that is more sexually driven. But right. the sin is still the root behind nature. that, right? I mean, yeah. it could be an individual could be struggling with gambling, and, mm-hmm. and that's kind of they could have that propensity from early on. Another yeah. individual could have a propensity for pornography. Uh, a guy looking at uh, naked women that had sure. that propensity, or it could be an individual that that. It's instead of naked, you know, women. It's men, and you know, mm-hmm. can have that propensity. But at the core, it's we all have a sin nature that that leads us to have this predisposition, which is also important. The world likes to make to call it a predetermination. Mm-hmm. You're born gay. You're born, you know, alcoholic. You're born whatever it is. But we have a predisposition, not a predetermination. Uh, so I think that's important because it's it's not like I'm just a robot and no matter what's going to happen I'm going to whatever is my predisposition that's that's I have no control over that God has given us a free will but also fortunately God has given us uh, Christ who has come to set us free from the bondage of sin mm-hmm. and uh, you know through Christ by grace uh, we're able to uh, you know as we put our faith in Him have the indwelling spirit holy spirit abiding in us that then empowers us to go and sin no more yeah and i'm curious you talked about just now freedom in christ yeah and i'm wondering if that kind of relates to what i talked about before in this concept of of sexual freedom Mm. that's out there in our culture kind of you can do kind of whatever you want yeah in the sexual area um as long as there's consent maybe something like that right um so that's like the 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 culture's vision of what that freedom looks like Mm -hmm. so i'm wondering like how you kind of see that as connecting to this idea of having freedom in Christ, like what the contrast is yeah. between them. It yeah. is quite ironic because, like you say, the world talks about sexual freedom. And in other words, um, 
what the world wants to, and, and sexual freedom, it, it's interesting because it's not only the desire or the, 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 the ability to do whatever you want to do, but mm-hmm. sexual freedom also means, and this is pretty important, that sexual freedom also means that you are free from guilt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So therefore, this guilt and shame that you feel for cheating on your, your girlfriend, that's just society putting that on you mm-hmm. and you need to be set free from that shaming that comes right from the mid 1800s with the yeah. romantic period and and all this kind of humanist philosophy that has come out of that that you need to be set free from the the constraints and the bondage of your own uh, conscience of your shame and guilt that yeah. really is not real the world will say but it is something that society is now imposing on you God is telling us something quite differently, especially from Romans 1, that we have a conscience that God has given us. That's why we have that. And it's possible, I think, to turn it off. I was able to turn mine off. I just didn't listen to it after a while. And, you know, it, as, 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 as I talked about oftentimes about my testimony, I lived as a gay man. I did drugs. I was in prison. And I found a Bible in the, in the, in the, in the trash can in prison and began reading it. So I'm very aware of living this sexual, this this freedom, quote unquote, life. Mm-hmm. But freedom in Christ is not freedom from from uh, society's understanding of guilt. But freedom in Christ means you are no longer in bondage to your sin, and that's amazing. Because what happened was when I was living what I would call this free life of doing whatever I wanted to do and and turning off my Moral you know, sensibilities. My, my moral say. sensibilities. Yep. What happened was I was putting myself deeper and deeper and deeper in bondage and in mm-hmm. prison. And um, but I didn't know that because I was blind. I had, but I, I wasn't happy. There was that void. Mm-hmm. And um, so freedom in Christ does not mean you can do whatever you want to do. So it's this. It is. It's this juxtaposition of the use of the word freedom. Mm-hmm. What does freedom mean, and how do we define it? Free from what? Uh, and and the, the greatest freedom is that we can be free to not be in bondage, enslaved to our sin. Uh, but, and yet, even though we are free in Christ, we are, as Paul talks about, that, that we are slaves to Christ. So, I mean, in, in essence, there is freedom, but, uh, you know, we are always going to be a slave to something. Right. And so are we going to be enslaved to our flesh? Are we going to be enslaved to our sin, or are we going to be enslaved to Jesus Christ, our Lord? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really, really good stuff. Um, so I'm, I wanted to turn now to uh, kind of the more of the cultural view mm-hmm. of things. Uh, you talked very much about the biblical Christian view, but there is still this view out here of sexual freedom yeah. and also one's identity being basically rooted in sex. Yeah. So I'm wondering about kind of two groups in terms of um, how this all plays out in in how they the, this group of people or community like thinks and like yeah. just how it affects uh, just their understanding of things. So one is basically the the LGBT community. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering if just from your experiences of interacting uh, with people in that community and of course coming from there yourself, is how these ideas of identity first of all and then the the freedom uh, from the cultural understanding of sexual freedom, how that uh, just affects uh, that group of, of people in particular. Yeah, I mean, years before I was converted and be, before I was a Christian, uh, I lived as a gay man. I was not Christian. We didn't raise, I wasn't raised in a Christian home. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, everything around me 
was was gay. All my friends were gay. I lived in an apartment complex that was ninety percent gay men in in, in Midtown Atlanta. Uh, I worked out at a gay gym. I brought groceries from what we nicknamed the Gay Kroger. So you know that was my world, and everyone around me affirmed that this is who I am. If if you talk to a gay friend or a gay loved one, gay neighbor or gay coworker, and you ask them, what do you mean when you say I am gay? You will not hear them say, this is what I do. Right. You won't hear them say, this is what I feel. You'll hear them say, this is who I am. So this shift from what to who has created a radically distorted view of personhood. And that's how we're living today, that this is who you are. And I'm not just picking on the word gay, even the word straight. Straight gay, bi, that's not who we are, but it's how we are. That's important. Sexuality is not who we are, but it's how we are. And if we don't recognize that first in our own lives and, and how we understand it, we'll have a hard time to engage our friends and loved ones in the gay community because that, that was, I never questioned that. That was, I, I, that was my presupposition that sexuality is the core. So not just a part, yeah. but it is the core of who I am. That's why it's, it's offensive to our gay friends, our LGBT friends, that yeah. when we say, uh, you know, what you're doing is sinful, you're, you know, your, your behavior is sinful, they don't hear you say that what, you know, their actions are sinful or their relationships are sinful. What they hear you say, because they can't separate behavior from personhood or their desires from essence and identity, what they hear you saying is not that they are sinning. What they hear you saying is that their whole person is sinful and so I think that I, I really think this is kind of the missing key when it comes to how Christians engage with with the LGBT community because it, it really mm. is part of the culture that mm. um, you know from from music you know born this way to uh, you know this is why even even activism um, the human rights campaign on their on their website you know they're they're saying this is you know sexual orientation is innate it's it's fixed when when that's that has has not been proven yet. Actually, even the most recent, a, a lot of, some recent researchers, for example, Lisa Diamond, she's a lesbian, queer researcher, scholar. She does some actually very, some very interesting research where she says and shows, shows that sexual orientation is not as fixed as we think. There's a lot of fluidity, especially among women. Among men, it's a, a bit more rigid, but uh, you know, to say that it is fixed, and certainly to say it's innate, uh, science has not really confirmed that. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, I think that's very helpful for us to think about as Christians interacting with people from that community that yeah. it's seen as their, it's the who I am. Yeah. And it's something we need to take into consideration when interacting, especially with those topics um, yeah. with them. So, yeah. And then the other th group I wanted to talk about is uh, kids, like oh, yeah. children growing up. Sure. Because, you know, it's, kind of a common thing to say, but, you know, when I was growing up, some of these issues in our culture weren't present. Yeah. And that's true for a lot of us in kind of the, um, the, the older generations, let's say, just not the current up-and-coming up generation. Right. That's pretty much been the case um, right. by and large. So I'm wondering, uh, do you have experience kind of interacting with people from that generation and, and these issues? Mm. And if so, like, how do you see these ideas of sexual freedom, of identity, how do you see that playing out in terms of their mindset, uh, yes. kind of growing up in that environment? Well, it's definitely something that our, our kids are 
are being faced with, especially when public schools are mandating that you teach about sexual orientation and different family types, you know, a daddy and a daddy and a mommy and a mommy. They're talking about transgenderism, that gender is just uh, something that you can choose, that, uh, that j- just because you're born male doesn't mean that you are male. So these are definitely concepts, and, and, and again, we have to think through, because I know a lot of times parents are just freaking out, what in the world is happening, and you know that's awful how the gay community is trying to destroy our kids' minds. And I'm not justifying the gay community, but really comes down to how the gay community sees this identity. That identity is, uh, if sexuality is who we are, which of course it's not, but for argument's sake, from their perspective, they and not just the gay community, but I mean, the all the you know, the non-Christian community, the, the, those are agnostic uh, view sexuality as who you are. And if it is, well, then it's the same thing as me being Chinese. And if it's good for me to educate our children about what it is to be Chinese and the, and my, the Chinese culture in the same way, it's good to talk to our kids about gay culture, the that gay community. Sense. So that's yeah. why. And when I realize that, that actually gives me more compassion to the gay community that, that they're not actually intentionally trying to, you know, cause our kids to live a sinful life. Mm-hmm. It's just a distortion of God's truth and it's a deception. And that gives me more of a burden to just share the truth, share the light of Christ to, to those who really, really need to hear. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, with the children, when they're... Being exposed to it, our, our Christian kids are hungry to hear the truth about sexuality. And not just because parents are like, oh, I tell my kids, don't have sex. Well, that's not really, you know, we can't take that on into adulthood, don't have sex. Right. That's, we need to actually give a good, a proper, robust theology of sexuality. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, my... The whole purpose of my new book, Holy Sexuality and the Gospel, was to, to, was to write a, a theology of sexuality. I, I, I wasn't finding any book on that. There was very little. Rosario Butterfield, she has uh, wrote her book, Openness Unhindered, on sexual identity. That was one of the first books, that I believe, that, that was addressing uh, sexuality from a theological perspective. What I mean by theology, I'm not just talking about you know, what the biblical text, but from systematic theology and from biblical theology and from a kind of a philosophical perspective, and, and you weren't really seeing that. So how does systematic theology, not just exegesis and different scripture and different passages, which is which are important, you know, yeah. like, for example, uh, doing some hermeneutical analysis of the six passages that touch on homosexuality, that's important. But that's looking, that's a hermeneutical issue. I'm talking about theology, and, and we didn't have that. So that's why I wrote this book beginning with personhood and ontology, and then talking about Imago Dei, and talking about... Mm-hmm hemariology and then talking about a theology of marriage a theology of singleness uh, theology of desire and temptations and the morality of that so I, I think that's really important and kids want to learn more about that that we can't simply talk to our kids that you know this is what God says about sexuality don't do this don't do that don't do this and, and those are important to, 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 to tell others but we can't build a Christian life on God's no what is God's yes so, so that's the message that we need to be telling our kids. But I think we need to be starting with young, younger kids. Uh, if if they're if they're if they're talking about 
you know, sex, sexuality, gender identity in kindergarten, we need to be talking to our kids at an early age, like that age. I think there's four important things that we need to talk to our kids when it comes to, um, uh, you know, teaching our kids about sexuality. Before you, you need to build a foundation. That the foundation be four things. First of all, helping our kids understand about about sin nature, not just sinful behavior, but sin nature. What that means that we all are born of the sin nature. That we all uh, that was not chosen. But then second. The reality of temptations. I think parents often teach our kids about sinful behavior, which is great, but then don't really tell them that you will be tempted. Right. It's actually normal to be tempted for a human because we all have a sin nature, it, but it's not a sin to be tempted. It's a sin to give into temptation. Jesus Christ was tempted in every way, but he was without sin. Third, so with sin nature, temptation, and then third, grace. That, you know, though you can tell your kids, though you may give in, there's grace for you, but that does not mean that you should go and sin, you know, keep keep sinning so that grace would abound, as Paul says, you know, definitely not, certainly not. Yeah. Uh, but then fourth, we talk about repentance, because that grace is available, but it's it's so that we would accept the gift of repentance, and that we would repent. And with that foundation, that actually helps us to engage those in the gay community. So tell, telling our kids, once you have that foundation of sin nature, uh, temptation, grace and repentance you can talk about sexuality easily and it'll be much more easier for them to accept and to be able to extend grace to those in the gay community not that we're just going to approve of their sinful behavior but we would extend grace so that we hope we would hope that they would put their faith in christ to know christ and then to repent chris you talked about your your book uh, holy sexuality is yeah. that right holy sexuality and the gospel yeah, so people can definitely check that out for more information about this whole topic, uh, yes. which is you know of huge importance right now uh, in people's lives. Are there any other kind of places people can go to just get more content and just learn about how they can you know, teach their kids about these things and stuff like that? Yeah, definitely. So that's Holy Sexuality and Gospel is my newest book. My first book I co-authored with my mother called Out of a Far Country, A Gay Son's Journey to God, A Broken Mother's Search for Hope. And... Um, We've uh, we found this is written. We wrote this. It was released in 2011, and it's still getting a lot of interest. Uh, and for se- several reasons, first, it's one of the only books out there that that comes from both the parents' perspective and the prodigal's perspective. So we wrote that together. So they're alternating chapters. But also, we have a study guide at the back, and parents are using it at home to talk with their kids. But also, Christian high schools are using it as a textbook, which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. We never, yeah. you know, it's. Uh, it, but it really makes sense because our kids are being flooded with, with resources on sexuality. They're being inundated with stories on sexuality, people embracing their sexuality and how happy they are. And we need to really be able to, to show that, no, that there's, there's another narrative. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's, that's a biblical narrative. Uh, there's a narrative of people's testimonies. So people are using it, parents are using it uh, to read it at home and going over the study guide. But also my website, ChristopherYuan.com where uh, they can get more information, videos. I have a YouTube channel, Christopher U- uh, YouTube.com, Christopher Yuan, and also uh, Facebook and Twitter. Yeah, so there you go, Christopher Yuan. Check that out. And, yeah, thanks for joining me. I really appreciate uh, talking about this kind of difficult subject. It, kind of, it can be kind of taboo within the church sometimes talking about it, and I think it's just important to just continue that conversation as much as we can.